for the last couple months, we've been looking at the Gospel according to John. And the Gospel according to John teaches us who is Jesus Christ. It answers that question, the most important, the centerpiece of all the questions that we would ever ask uh, in our lives. And we really start to see Jesus beginning to answer, starting in chapter 8, he starts to answer that question himself. And by the time we get to chapter 10, he gets more intimate. He says, I am the good shepherd. Because all the other references to himself, all of his other claims, he says, I am the light of the world. I am the vine. I am, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the bread of life. Those are all relatively impersonal items. But a shepherd, Jesus Christ is saying that he wants to get intimate with you. He wants to be personal with us. It's a really, really powerful claim. And it's a description, a really powerful description of who he is. What is a good shepherd? I'm going to submit to you today that we're going to learn three things. And then some application. Three things and some application. He leads, he knows, and he loves. A good shepherd leads us, knows us, loves us. And then we'll go into how do we apply that. First, a good shepherd leads us. Verses 1 to 3 He says, the watchman opens the gate. The sheep listen to the shepherd's voice. The shepherd makes a call. He calls his own sheep by name, and the sheep listen to his voice, and he leads them out. That's what he says. Western shepherds, I know very little about what it means to be a shepherd. I had to do a lot of referential reading. Western shepherds tend to drive their sheep. They have sheepdogs to drive their sheep. But Eastern shepherds are different. They lead their sheep out. They actually go out in front. And what does that mean? First, if you're a Christian... If you're a Christian, uh, God doesn't give you, Jesus doesn't give you a manual. There's no manual. There's no map. And then Jesus says, I want you to follow this manual. I want you to follow this map. He doesn't sit there and watch you make all these mistakes and criticize every move that you're making. That's not what he does. Rather, what he did was he gives you, he's right here, and he gives you himself instead of a map, instead of a manual. He gives you himself. Christianity is a relationship. It's not, it's not rules. Yes, there are rules. There are rules in every relationship. In every relationship, stated or unstated, there are rules. Every healthy relationship, right, has some sort of order and structure to it. There are things that you're supposed to do. There are things you're not supposed to do. And it's based on the nature of the association, the nature of that relationship. But the rules, in a healthy relationship, the rules never define that relationship. And all the more, how much more of a relationship between us and Jesus Christ? The fact is, if you make a bad decision... Jesus is shaping your life through those bad decisions. You got these bad decisions and and bad consequences and you're suffering and there are losses and there's pain and there's bitterness and yet Jesus Christ is taking all those decisions, all those consequences, all the pain, all the suffering and what he's doing is he's shaping you into, into his loving plan for his glory and for your good. There's this passage at the end of uh, the J.R.R. Tolkien series, The Lord of the Rings. You have the return of the king. In the very, very last portion, you have Frodo, who is really this insignificant hobbit who actually saves the entire world. And he wakes up as if this whole thing was a dream. He wakes up and he sees his long-lost mentor who had died previously. And he's astonished at seeing his mentor past now alive. And he says, Gandalf. He says, wait a second. I thought you were dead. Wait, I thought I was dead. Has everything wrong become undone? Has everything wrong become untrue? Frodo wakes up. That's what he says. If you're a Christian, God is turning you into that beautiful thing that he has been shaping you and designing you from the beginning to be. Plan from the beginning. We tend, we don't tend to trust. 
That's why we're so neurotic about every decision we make. We go to, we go to meticulous uh, degree, to a meticulous degree, we're trying to shape and contort and manipulate our lives, the things that are at least important to us, the things that we care about. We talk to every single person who means something to us about every decision that's important to us that we make. We go to people, when, when, particularly when things are going wrong, and we do that. We need to go to Jesus Christ. Not for answers, but he gave us himself. He didn't give you a map. He didn't give you a manual. He gave you himself. Because he's right there with you and he's taking every, every sorrow, every pain, and what he does is he interweaves it into your greater joy and into your greater glory, into greater honor. And he does that with every weakness and with every flaw and with every bad decision, with every consequence. Yes, he's going to give you wisdom. Yes, he's going to give you power. But he does that through himself. He gives you himself. He doesn't give it to you through rules. He doesn't give it to you through knowledge. He doesn't give it to you through tests. So if you make a right decision, it's because he's right there with you, interweaving those good decisions into that great plan that he has. And if you make every bad decision, if you make tons of bad decisions, he takes that in the same way. There's no plan B. In the same way, he weaves it into his greater plan. And it's all to make you, it's to prepare you for something greater, all through the bad consequences and decisions and the pain and the brokenness. It's through those things. And it's, it's really all part of this great plan to make you more like his son. In Romans chapter 8, he says, if you are led, you are sons. So if you're confused, if you're suffering, if you realize, oh, I've been so foolish in my life, why did I make these bad decisions? Know this, God is making you more beautiful through that brokenness than you could ever imagine, that you could have ever done for yourself. Now, in verses 14 to 15, you need to know a little bit more about Eastern shepherds, the way they are with their sheep. Shepherds, uh, they would watch their sheep all the time. They would watch all their sheep all the time. They would lead their sheep to pasture. They would lead them out of the gate. They would lead them to pasture. They would lead them to rest They would lead them through the gate, and when they go out and they went out, these sheep would follow, and they would hear the special call that the shepherd would make, and they would follow. They would know the voice of the shepherd. They would follow that call. In other words, what that means is, first of all, if Jesus says, I am the shepherd, what does that make us? It makes us his sheep. These sheep, they are helpless. They are utterly dependent on the shepherd for everything. They're absolutely helpless. And because it's because the sheep are the most helpless of animals. If you think about it, If you take any other animal and you let them loose, it could be a dog, it could be a cat, it could be a a horse. You let them loose, they are happy, they are in their natural state, they are running wild and free, and they're in joy. And a lot of them actually make their way back to you. But if you leave a sheep out, it will die. It has, sheep are utterly dependent. And uh, I don't, you know, they're stupid, they follow each other and they get lost, Um, and then they panic when they're lost, and they're slow, so they can't run away. They're defenseless. They have no defense in their lives. They're helpless. They're incapable. Why does Jesus call us sheep? You can't be offended. Please don't be offended. But if Jesus Christ is saying, I am the shepherd, then we are his sheep. And what he's saying is, I know you. You are spiritually helpless. You are insufficient. You are utterly dependent on me. And he's saying, you know, you think you're the only one. And that's why you you try to hide it. You think there's something wrong with you because you think you're so helpless. 
Yeah, as if something, something is weird about you. But the thing is, everybody is dependent. Remember the first day? Think about the first day you went to school, to college for the very first time. Think about the first day you, you started your job, you started your career. The first day of your career, oh, you're nervous. And you show up and you are green. And everybody knows you're green. And the thing is, you sit there and you look at all the other people who are starting on that first day with you. And sometimes you can't tell, but they're starting on that first day with you and they look so poised and they look so confident. And you're wondering, why am I the only one that doesn't seem to know what he's doing? I can't get from one building to another. I can't get from one room to another without a map. I seem to be bumping into, oh, tripping over myself, bumping into things. And the thing is, everybody on their first day feels that way. They're just hiding it. Everybody's dependent. We don't know where to go. We don't know how to act. We don't even know what's important on a given day. And that's humbling because we try to look so capable and we're not. Meanwhile, in our lives, we're constantly overestimating ourselves. We're constantly overestimating our gifts. We're constantly overestimating our resumes. And we're underestimating our flaws. And as a result, we're const- because we underestimate our flaws, like sheep, You know, they don't know when they're out in the wild. They just do. They just follow each other. They don't realize they're heading into danger. They don't realize they're making a bad decision. And when we do that, because we're constantly making bad decisions, and then you get to a certain point in your life and you say, wow, I look back and I say, wow, I was really foolish five years ago, but I've learned. I've arrived. You don't think you're sheep anymore. And so you know what happens? You make more bad decisions. That's what happens. And you continue on and on this endless cycle of foolishness. And every single time you say, I've matured, now I've arrived, and then we do it again. That's what it means to be sheep. You know what it's like to be sheep? You take a toddler. We have a lot of toddlers in our church. You take a toddler and let them go. You would never do that. Of course, you'd be terrible parents if you did that because if you let them go, you know they wouldn't last five minutes. They wouldn't even be able to make it out of this room without probably getting hurt. Lots of stairs, lots of old stairs and places and opportunities to get hurt here, right? That's us. Now, of course, toddlers, if you let them go, they think they're capable. They want to do everything on their own. They think they're mature. And when they're stuck and you help them, do they appreciate you? No, they don't appreciate you one bit. When they go astray and you call them back, do they listen to you? No, because they're going to listen to themselves. You have to sometimes go there and almost scoop them up to protect them. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. It means even though we're completely dependent, we don't know that we're dependent, we don't behave dependently, we don't live dependently, that's us, we're sheep. We place our worth on what our parents think of us. We place our worth in how much our spouse affirms us or loves us. And we think that that is going to be the thing that's going to give us a sense of purpose and love and, and, and acceptance in life. And so we get lost. And we become destructive people. We place our worth in having healthy children. If I could just have healthy, good children, we place our worth in what our boss thinks of us. We place our worth in what our friends around us think of us. We're somebody that we're on a date with. And you were constantly, it's our way of being resistant to the shepherd. We're constantly fighting our shepherd, resisting our shepherd. We're always overestimating our skills, our experience, our connections, our instincts. And it's because we're blind. In verses 1 to 3, Jesus says, the man enters through the gate. The one who does that is the shepherd. And the sheep hear his voice, and he calls them by name, and he leads them out into pasture. You're called to worship. You have Psalm 23. 
one of the most famous psalms in the Bible. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in one. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He leads us. That's the first point. Very simple. We're going to go a little deeper. The second thing is he knows us. The shepherd leads. Second is he knows. Verse 3, the sheep hear my voice, and he says, I call them by name. Verses 7 to 10, he says, I am the gate, meaning that I am the only legitimate way through to my sheep. Other people like thieves and robbers, they're fake, they're foreign, they're strangers. I'm the only legitimate way. I'm the only legitimate way to safety, to rest. Verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. In verse 14, he says, I know my sheep. I know my sheep. We're a sheep. He knows us. That's what he's saying. In John chapter 1, as he's calling his disciples, he calls out to Nathaniel. And he says, I saw you when you were underneath the fig tree. And we don't know exactly what Nathaniel was thinking underneath that fig tree, but it must have been so private and so personal. And yet Jesus knew. Immediately Nathaniel, credulously, he says, you are God. That's what he says. In John chapter 4, he goes to this Samaritan woman. He's waiting for the Samaritan woman to arrive. And they're having this intense conversation about water. She says, give me this water. He says, go, call your husband and come back. She says, I have no husband. He says, that's right. You've had five husbands. And the man you're currently with is not even your husband. What you're saying is quite true. She runs off later on. And she says, come see a man who's told me everything I ever did. He knows. He knows us. In John chapter 8, he looks at the religious people. They're standing around a very naked, vulnerable woman. These religious people, they're about to stone this woman. And Jesus says, if any of you are without sin, let him cast the first stone. What he's saying is, I know you. I know your deepest sins. Go ahead. He knows you. In John chapter 13, he's with his disciples. He says, one of you will betray me. He knows the most intimate people in his life. And then later on, he goes to Judas. And he says, what you're about to do, do it. Do it quickly. He knows he knows. He says, he says, I wouldn't let anybody touch me unless I let them. He knows. Jesus is saying, I know you. All your ways, all your motives, all your bad decisions and your, your lack of wisdom and your foolishness, I know all that. You're insecure. You're inadequate. You're starved for love. And the things that you would be willing to do to get love, I see your heart. I see all the things that you do, the way you try to justify yourself. And so you get defensive, and that's why you fight, and that's why you attack people, and that's why you criticize people. I know all the things that you've done. I know all the things that you haven't even done yet. I'm watching you, and I see you, and I know. The doctrine of sin, we hate that word doctrine. The doctrine of sin says God sees you, and he knows you. That's what he says. In a text, he says, I call you out by name. Now, a lot of these references about shepherds will tell you that sheep know the voice of their shepherd. They make a call, and every sheep, every shepherd has a particular voice, and the sheep recognize that voice. And in those first verses, Jesus says, I am the shepherd. I come to the pen. The watchman's been watching the sheep, all the sheep overnight. There's a number of flocks in that one pen. So only certain sheep belong to the shepherd but when the shepherd comes, he makes this noise, and his own flock follow him. Very typical. That's what happens. That's how it works. But it's rare to almost never 
that a shepherd would name his own sheep. This is something that goes beyond the metaphor that Jesus is using as the good shepherd. It's very rare for the shepherd to name each of their sheep. They know all their sheep. They recognize everyone, but it's very rare for them to name the sheep. So it's very remarkable when Jesus says, I not only know you to the core, but I call you out by name. What does that mean? He says, you may be helpless. You may feel worthless. You may feel ugly. You may feel messed up. You may have made tons of bad decisions in your life, but in Jesus, you have a name. Very important because in ancient times, your name meant everything. Having a name meant that you had status. Having a name means that you were significant. In Genesis chapter 11, first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 11, you have the Tower of Babel, very famous story. Even people who haven't been in the church know that story. The Tower of Babel, these men get together, and they say, let's, let's build this tower that's going to reach to the heavens, that's going to reach to God. But why do they do it? They answer, they say, let's make a name for ourselves. And what that means is by nature, yes, spiritually, we, our lives, we desire to be hooked into something that's so real and so lasting in our lives. That's why Jesus starts out and he says, I'm the bread, I'm real, I'm tangible, you can ingest me, you can consume me. He says, I am, I who speak to you am he, I am, he means I'm real. But it also means to be hooked into something that's lasting for our approval for our significance, for our worth. All our, it means all of life is this incredible pursuit to be affirmed in life. Now we say, well, I don't really care what other people think about me. I don't derive my worth from that. I don't really care. All that matters is what I think about myself. And we all know that when you just listen to that phrase, I don't care what other people think of me. All I care is what, people th- what I think of myself. We know we're not being forthright. Everyone is easily caught in a web of working for approval. It begins at a very, very young age with our parents. We want to be good in front of our parents. It migrates later on into our teachers, our mentor figures. Later on, as we get into college, our work life, it migrates to a much larger... Those figures don't go away. It just widens. It goes into our coworkers. It goes into our boss, our friends. Later on, you get married. It's your spouse. And then you have children. And you want the approval. You want your children to live that life so that you have the approval as well. As a mother or as a father, you can say that person is a good mother or a good father. At the heart, it's why we spend so much money in our education. It's why we slave away in our work all the countless hours in our work, investing so much in relationships, in all of our relationships, in our children. And the reason why is because you can never affirm yourself. We're built in a way, we're designed in a way you can't affirm yourselves regarding how beautiful you are. I don't care what people think about how I look. All I know, all that matters is that I I know that I'm beautiful. We know that doesn't work. I don't care about what people think about my abilities or my skills as long as I know that I'm skillful. We know that doesn't work. We're built in a way where we need validation from other people. We're built that way. You cannot name yourself. You cannot give yourself a sense of worth or significance. You always need somebody from the outside who says, yes, you are beautiful. Yes, you are blessed. Yes, you are known. There's not a single businessman here in this congregation who says, I don't really care what people think about what I'm selling. All that matters is that I believe in it. Really? Really? Because that means you don't care about sales. You're a businessman. I'm an author. I'm a musician. 
I'm a pastor or a preacher. I don't care what other people think about what I say, what I've written, no matter how many books I've written, no matter how much I've tried. All that cares, all that matters is, is what I think of myself. I know that I'm a good writer. Will that work for you? Does that work? Getting, giving yourself validation like that, the very nature of who we are and what we do, it's built around having a name that other people give us. In the 90s, there was a, an Oscar-nominated movie directed by Martin Scorsese called Quiz Show. Um, when television was first entering into uh, modern American society, there was a scandal that rose pretty quickly regarding a quiz show, 21, that they recently, not too long ago, they brought back. But in this quiz show, they, they brought these very intelligent people before a national audience to basically work towards ma- making money answering questions, trivia questions that nobody else in America would know. And this man showed up in the Time magazine cover because he was a professor at Columbia. His father is a professor at Columbia. There was a legacy of intellectuals. He comes from a legacy of intellectuals in his family. And there was a scandal that arose because it turned out that because they wanted higher ratings, they actually started feeding this already bright man coming from an intellectual family. They started feeding him the answers before he actually would show up on the quiz show. And he took it. He took it for the money. And in the movie, as the scandal was starting to unravel, he goes to his father, who is this unknowing professor, an older man, very distinguished professor at Columbia. And he goes to his father, and he explains to him this scandal that's about to unravel. And his father asks, so money? This is what it's all about? And his son starts to explain, well, it's not really just about the money. I've lived in your shadow all my life. I've lived in your shadow. I've lived in your name all my life. That's what he says. He says, this is my claim to fame. This was mine. And his father responds and he says, your name is mine. Status. Significance. We're all looking for it. Your name means you have value. Your name means you have significance. Jesus says, in me, I call you out by name. Anybody who's a Christian has a name. You're known. You have value. You have significance. How about you have to notice, throughout the Bible, you have people like Abram. You have people like Jacob. You have people like Simon. You have people like Saul. Throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, yes, they have names. But when they come to Jesus, you also have purpose. You also, your purpose, your place in this life is unique. God has a plan for you. And as a result, they get new names. That's the significance of these new names. So as a result, Abram becomes Abraham because he'll be the father of the multitude. You have Jacob who's renamed to become Israel. You have Simon who becomes Peter. Peter's going to be the rock. You have Saul who becomes the apostle Paul. Why? Because in Jesus Christ, yes, you have a name, but you also have meaning. You also have purpose. You have a mission. When Jesus Christ says, I call you out by name, what he's saying is, on one hand, when I get to name you, the only people who get to name anybody is the owner. When you have children, you get to name them. Why? Because you are claiming ownership over that child. When you get a pet, you name your pet. Why? Because you are subduing. You are claiming ownership over that pet. Some people name inanimate objects. They're computers, they're cars, right? We do that. Why? Because we are claiming ownership. This is my baby, we say. 
Jesus Christ is saying, by giving you a name, you are mine. You are my own. I'm going to send you off on, on mission, which means you have purpose. It's unique. It's special. In verse 11, he says, I will lay down my life for my sheep. Why? Because I own my sheep. In verses 12 to 13, the hired, the hired hand does not own. And so when a wolf comes to attack, he says he runs away. But in verse 14, he says, I know my sheep. I own my sheep. He says, my sheep. That means Jesus Christ is for you. He knows you. He has plans for you, which means if you're not looking to him for a name, if you're not looking to him to name you, you're going to seek a name on your own. And that's why there's struggle. And that's why there's weariness and fatigue. That's why there's joylessness and emptiness at times. That's why there's, there's constant envy and jealousy. That's why there's anger and bitterness. That's why there's pain and brokenness. Because in our sin, we're constantly seeking a name for ourselves on our own. Now, Jesus says, when you come to Jesus, he gives you a name. That means on one hand, he's right there with you. He says, I lead you. I'm right there with you. The shepherds, they always walked with their sheep. They led their sheep. But it means because you have a name, you have significance. You have worth. But it also means I own you. I protect you. I defend you with my life so that I can send you off on mission and you have purpose. And it's unique and it's special. So on one hand, he leads you as a shepherd. On another hand, he, he knows you intimately as a shepherd. Lastly, he loves you as a shepherd. Very unique, remarkable. He says, I lay down my life for my sheep. Now think about this. If anybody saw any one of us, including myself, if you knew and if you saw me to the core, every thought that I have to the core, right now you'd turn from me. Right now you would. If you knew one, each, one another, spouses, husbands, wives, if right now you knew everything, wives, if you knew everything that your husband was thinking at the moment, right now, to the core, you would want to leave him. Husbands, if you knew everything that your wife was thinking to the core, you would want to leave her. Jesus says, I know you to the core, and I will not leave you. I will lay down my life for you. Look at the love of God. Look at the mercy of God. Look at the compassion and protective love of Jesus Christ. Verses 11 to 13, why does the, why does the shepherd value his sheep? I mean, why are there robbers and thieves to steal these helpless defensive animals in the first place? Why do wolves come and attack these animals in the first place? And it's because every part, sheep are one of those rare animals where every part of the sheep is valuable, especially in that Eastern culture, in that Eastern society. If you think about it, if you're a sheep farmer, if you're a sheep herder, right, you have wool that comes from their hair, excess hair. You have leather that comes from their skin. You have meat that they use for food. Every part of the sheep is valuable. And what sheep, shepherds do, they, they don't have a treasure. They don't have bank accounts in the Eastern ancient society back then. Your sheep was your wealth. Therefore, they are your treasure. Every sheep was valuable. Shepherds have chosen to bind and tie their own worth, their own wealth, their own treasure, their own value in their sheep. Hired hands, they're only in it for the money. They're only in it for, they're not in it for their own personal lives. Their lives are not at stake. 
And so when something comes in attacks, they're going to run. What is Jesus saying? When a wolf comes, people are, who are in it for the money, they're going to run. But when a wolf comes, I lay down my life for my sheep. In the Greek, you know, I used to think that it meant, wow, like Jesus is doing all this for me. That's what he's saying. I would lay down my life for you. I would just die for you guys. But in actuality, in the Greek, the actual phrase, I lay down my life for the sheep, there's a little bit of a, uh, uh, not, not enough deep of a translation. What he's really saying is, I lay down my life instead of my sheep. For you, in your place. He's talking about substitution. He's talking about substitution. On one hand, he calls himself a shepherd because he wants to be personal with you. And because he knows you, he wants to be real with you. And because you're helpless, not only is he personal, he wants to lead you. Now, being personal, that means that there's going to be risk. There's going to be loss. There's going to be pain. If you're not personal, there's no risk. There's no loss. But if you're personal in someone's life, there's going to be loss at times. There's going to be risk at times. Sometimes there's resistance and fighting. But there's always a greater joy. The joy is in the sacrifice. The joy is in the risk. The joy is in the loss sometimes. Now, Jesus could have left us a manual. He could have left us only a manual. But he doesn't. In Psalm chapter 23, we see the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Right there with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life because you're right there with me. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Why does he do this? He's saying, I have chosen to bind my happiness, my joy, my treasure, my worth in knowing you. He says, for his name's sake, meaning that his name is tied in to you. That's what he's saying. He cares for you because that's where God has chosen to tie his worth in, his joy in, even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death. Now think about this. Look at the progression. In that Psalm, chapter 23, he starts off with Jesus as a shepherd, which means we're the sheep. But there's a transition that takes place. All of a sudden, at some point in that Psalm, if you look at your call to worship, you'll see this. You go from him, the imagery of a shepherd leading us, guiding us, right? Paths of righteousness, still waters. And then all of a sudden, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He's saying he dines with us. Somewhere down the road, we stop being sheep. We become people. We become friends, intimate friends, because meals in that ancient culture were intimate experiences. You only invited someone to a real meal that was prepared like that if they were intimate friends, the most intimate friends who were doing life with you. So all of a sudden, you go from sheep to becoming a person, to becoming a friend. How did a sheep become a friend? How did a sheep gain so much dignity that all of a sudden they became people? And it's because somebody with ultimate dignity became the ultimate sheep. Jesus was the greatest one who became a sheep so that, who became a lamb, so that stupid sheep could become great. And that's our final destination. 
Friends, our final destination is not a pen, is not even a garden. It's a table. It's a table in the city of God where we get to dine with him. We're going to get to dine together today. It's a practice of that intimacy. It's a practice of that type of community. What do friends do? Friends talk regularly. Friends affirm. Friends love. Friends laugh. Friends suffer. Friends hurt together. Friends know and learn one another. In fact, we learn about each other through the suffering, through the pain. Can you imagine a friend who only comes to you for money? (laughs) That's not a friend. You really have to get beneath the surface of who you are with a shepherd who knows you. Jesus Christ is saying, obey me because I'm king on one hand, but obey me. You can become personal with me because I'm a shepherd king and I'm laying my life down in your place. I've become the sheep so that you could dine in my place at the table. That's what he's saying. Jesus Christ is saying, I am the shepherd who became a lamb to sacrifice. I'd rather lose anything, including myself, than see my sheep in danger, even if it means at the cost of my life. That's amazing. Look at the love of Christ. Look at the sacrificial nature of Christ. Look at the beauty of Christ. Look at the kingliness and the humility of Jesus. In the Bible, we see throughout, especially in the book of Revelation, at the end, what do you see? Worthy is the lamb that was slain. Worthy is the lamb. Why is he worthy? Look at his sacrifice. Look at his love. Look at his compassion. We are his treasure. He has chosen to bind his own worth in us, his own heart in us to die for us. That's the gospel. And in Isaiah chapter 53, we read, what Jesus was actually thinking while he was on the cross. If you want to get into his head, you can read Isaiah chapter 53. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. And yet he didn't open his mouth like a lamb that was led to slaughter. He was led, in other words. He was led like a lamb. And on the cross, he quotes, he's quoting from Psalm chapter 22. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What he says in Psalm 22, he says, there are roaring lions who have opened their mouths against me. There are dogs, wolves, that have surrounded me. They have pierced my hands. They have pierced my feet. When he was on the cross, he was surrounded by wolves. That's what he's saying. Because he was a shepherd, now in place of his lambs. Trust in Jesus as a shepherd. On the cross, when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What he's saying is, now I've become helpless. Now I'm utterly defenseless because my protection, my shepherd, my word, my ownership has left me. I'm no longer owned. I no longer belong. In fact, Isaiah 53 says he was cast out. He was cast out from the land of the living. I know I'm as good as dead. I'm left for dead. My shepherd has abandoned me. I am alone. I'm left for dead. I have no shepherd. I have no, I have no father. I'm not known, that means. I have no name. I've lost my worth. I've lost my status. I've lost my significance. And I was led, but I was led to the cross. And that's why I can be your good shepherd. You can trust that. Jesus was blessed so that we could, Jesus was cursed so that we could be blessed. Jesus Christ lost his name so that we could have a name. Jesus Christ emptied himself for us. Why? So that we could be led to pasture. So that we would have every need fulfilled. Jesus Christ, he says, 
you, my God has forsaken me. He was forgotten. Why? So we could be known. When you read this, te- this text, this is Jesus' own words. John chapter 10, this is Jesus speaking in his own words. There's no greater treatise. Do you see any demeaning language there? Does it, do you see anything that puts you down there? If you think about this text, in his own words, there's no greater treatise, there's no greater statement, there's no greater proof of the inherent dignity and worth of a human person's life than what you see on the cross. There's no greater affirmation of your worth. There will be no greater affirmation of a person's worth than to hear Jesus say, I know you to the end, and yet I've laid my life down, which means I will go to the end and beyond the end for you. Yes, he died to satisfy the holiness of God. Yes, he died to satisfy the justice of God, to put an end to sin once and for all. But do you get it? If you think about it, he had made a choice as to where he would find, where he would root his worth. If you think about it, if you're willing to sacrifice your son, how many people you know in your lifetime would be willing to sacrifice their children for something? You know that if they do, what they sacrificed for must have been worth it, must have had so much great value because there's nothing more valuable to us than our children. We say they are precious. Even when they're not our own children, we say they are precious. But here is God willing to sacrifice his son, and he did. He lost his son, which means that as Jesus was experiencing pain, God was experiencing pain on the cross. And yet he did it because he had chosen to tie his life and his joy in his sheep, you. If you're not willing to see how foolish we are, you'll never get to see how valuable you are. So what are you going to do? You're going to work? You're going to push? You're going to just keep proving yourself? You're going to keep fighting to make a name for yourself? You're going to keep gossiping to put other people's names down? You're going to keep criticizing to put other people down because it's your way of defending yourself, to defend your name? You're going to be desperate and clawing for every inch of self-worth in your life, and then you get there and you will be alone because everybody else has been put down and you'll never still know where you stand. Jesus says, come to me. I am the good shepherd. I lead you, I know you, and yet I love you. That's the gospel. Very, very quick application. What does it mean to follow then? Follow then his voice as a shepherd. One, it means to obey him. He is a shepherd king. On one hand, he's a shepherd. On the other hand, he's a king. So that means we obey his voice. Sheep need their shepherd in every facet of life. That means that there's, there shouldn't be a single part of your life that you're not supposed to bring to Jesus. You can't come to him and say, well, I'm only going to bring this part of my life because I have needs. But don't sit there and speak into this part of my life. Then it, it, All that means is that he's not your shepherd. It means he's not your king. That's what that means. You have no right to in, impede on this part of my life. I have views. I have opinions. I have right. I have a right to things. Who gave you your life? Who protects your soul? He is the shepherd and he is the king. Obey. Stop looking to other shepherds. Listen to Christ. You have to follow him in every area of your life. Stop resisting when he finds you. You know, they say, and again, this is all referential documentation that I've been reading, that when a shepherd finds a sheep 
that's lost. That's why they're willing, first of all, to find that one that's lost because they are valuable to them. So they find this one that's lost, and it's not like they're like, oh, found you. Come on, let's go. That's not what happens. The sheep keep going. They're like, they look at the shepherd, they're like, see ya, and they just keep going. So the shepherd actually has to run, tackle the sheep, pick it up, wrap it around his neck, and, they, and he walks back. That's the image. That's what they do, these eastern shepherds. They actually wrap them around. And meanwhile, it's documented. They're still resisting. They say, I'm caught. Now I'm trapped. They were in danger. Now I'm trapped. Let me go. And they start bleeding. <laughs> they start bleeding. Right? And this shepherd is so annoyed, but he has such joy because he has found this precious. But the sheep is like, I'm caught. I feel suffocated. Don't bring me back. Don't tell me what to do with my life. Right? They're cursing. They're complaining. Never sit there and say, you haven't walked with me. That's like the worst phrase in the world because you're here. And when you're here, that means God is present right there with you, walking with you. Obey the king. Listen to his voice. The last part of that is, remember we talked about Psalm 23. He prepares a table for you. So you start out as sheep. He leads you. He guides you. He walks with you. He takes you to pasture. He feeds you. He's, such, he's so good to us. But then what he does is he prepares a table. All of a sudden, you become a person. What's the end point? You become a shepherd. You become like Jesus. The great shepherd became a lamb for us. What that means is we approach people like a lamb. Humility, grace, love, compassion. But not outside of truth. Not outside, we don't lie about the truth, the reality, the desperate nature of the situation. If a shepherd saw a sheep wandering away, nah, it'll be fine. That's not what a shepherd, a truly loving shepherd doesn't do that. Oh, they chase and they fight and they argue, and the sheep is complaining, and the shepherd grabs the sheep and says, no, you're coming with me. Why? Because you belong, right, to the king. You belong to the shepherd, the ultimate shepherd. When you mature and you get over your, your need to have rights, and you get over your need to have a certain salary, you get over the need to have a certain figure, you get over the need to have a certain type of spouse or to have certain type of, types of children, a certain look in your home, or a certain figure in your 401k. When you get over all that, that's maturity, first of all, right? And when you do that, it's going to make you bold. It's going to make you very bold. And as you grow in that boldness, God is going to send people to you because you become very attractive. You become very attractive because all those pretenses aren't there anymore. And so you become like a lamb and God leads people to you and they need you. Get to know those people. Show them how much they're valued. Spend time with them. Seek them out. Some of you are sheep right now. If you're sheep, then all the more, listen. Humility begs, you gotta be a lamb. Just be yourself, right? Listen. Some of us are, and by the way, all sheep here, Metaphorically speaking, all sheep are becoming shepherds. So take value the people who are around you because they're going to start out as sheep and they're going to cry and they're going to moan and they're going to complain, but eventually they're going to become a friend and then they're going to become shepherds themselves. That's the end point. This passage used to be very confusing for me, not because generally I understood. And for many of us, we come to Jesus and we think, oh, Jesus is a shepherd. It means he gives us things. And that's the way we view Christ. And the moment he doesn't give us something we want, all of a sudden he becomes our enemy. 
Jesus says, I am not, he's not just a shepherd, he's a good shepherd. He comes to you with all his goodness and all his faithfulness and all his compassion and all his love and all his grace. Will you submit to this shepherd who is a king? Will you do that? Now, we're going to go and enjoy a great meal together. I encourage anybody who's visiting with plenty of, oper- plenty of space, plenty of food. So please, how do you best practice this in the context of community? As lost sheep who found a shepherd, we get to enjoy and experience the intimacy of Christ through one another. Will you come forward? Will you do that? Let's pray together.